and welcome to the latest episode of Betfair's Weighed In podcast. Welcome to the show. As always, we are going to be doing weekend review like we always do. We've also got week six of Footsteps to the Festival. We'll be looking at all the mayor's races and we'll be covering all the big news stories of the last seven days. And as always, I am joined by TC in his box room. How are you, TC? Yeah, all good. Yeah, I'm a bit fresher than this time last week, shall we say. Well, as am I. As am I. I'm in that boat with you. I am fresh as a daisy this Monday, whereas last Monday I was a little below substandard. And Kevin is on the gravy train somewhere when the rest of us could only dream of going. And instead, we have got Brendan Duke as the substitute. How are you, Brendan? Welcome back to the show. It's great to have you on board. Well, that's very kind of you, Vanessa. Yeah, yeah, uh, glad to be, be back. I've been elevated from the practice squad. Uh, I just thought I'd throw in that reference. Given yeah, absolutely. And we are delighted to have you on the team. Um, right. Now, before we get into weekend review, we are recording now at 11, just past 11.45 on Monday morning. And we've just been hit with the news that Alaho, no Alaho at the festival, out due to an abdominal bleed after working. So obviously we hope that he can make a full recovery He's such a talented horse, but a fragile one at that. And um, this really does throw the Ryanair wide open, Brendan, doesn't it? What did you make? What's first reaction to that news? Ah, well, it's very disappointing. You see, he, he, he's such a dramatic horse. Uh, the, 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 the way he does things, he's a spectacular sight. I just hope uh, Willie Mullins didn't rush him back for that media morning. There were some sceptics on Twitter wondering if the horse was still alive, but they, he had a media, media morning post DRF. And he, he he paraded him and he did a bit of work, uh, but he, he obviously didn't react particularly well to that piece of work or a subsequent piece of work. I don't really know enough about conditioning horses as to when it may or may not have happened. Uh, but yeah, uh, very, very disappointing. Um, so. Yeah, it's a real hit for the race. And just getting the revised betting through now, um, Betfair go three to one, Faka Duderis at the top of the Ryanair market, seven to two, Blue Lord, four to one, Shishkin, five to one, Fury Road, six to one, Conflated, 12s bar. And of course, we get to see Fakir and hopefully Shishkin this weekend at Ascot. So all to play for now in the Ryanair, Tony. And you'd, you'd, you'd expect a few people, trainers here in England and Ireland, suddenly thinking that they might have a bit of a chance in a race like that now. Yeah, I mean, obviously those prices, uh, the market's just reforming now. So some of those prices might be on the short side. Um, but yeah, be fascinating to see what turns up. Obviously, we lost probably one of the most impressive winners at the Cheltenham Festival in the last couple of years. Yeah, uh, there, but it's funny because I got I got a message first thing this morning. Everyone thinks, oh, the news breaks on the exchange, etc. I had a, I had a text from someone first thing this morning who works for a bookmaker saying we're getting a lot of each way money for everything in the Ryanair apart from apart from um, obviously the favourites. So the word was out very early on, and obviously the exchange forecast it as well. But it's not only an exchange move in these circumstances and. Uh, um, I spoke to him just subsequently and he said, uh, we're just in the process of closing all the accounts. We backed anything each way for the Ryanair this morning. So <laughs> think on if you're going to try and uh, try to pull a fast one. Have one over on the bookies. Um, shall we move on? I don't react, Carney, to that, as, uh, as Brenda <laughs> will know. Uh, shall we move on to talk about the racing this weekend a few takeaways with a real focus now four weeks to go tomorrow is the Cheltenham Festival and all eyes were on John Bon at Warwick on Saturday uh, running in the Kinmaker ended up being a match race and although he won wasn't quite as many people were expecting not in the style many hoped for I suppose the big question is now 
how does he match up against El Fabiolo in what looks like the Arkle could be one of the races of the festival? He's now two to one. John Bon is two to one from 11 to eight. El Fabiolo is the favourite at 11 to 10 at the top of the market from seven to four. Brendan, do you think it was fair the criticism John Bon got for the run, despite the fact he won? No, well, not particularly. Um, I, I, I think it's, it's he's a very interesting horse, John Bond. Um, he, well, he doesn't sweat up as much as he used to. He seems to be getting more relaxed as he, as he gets older, which is very encouraging. Uh, it was it was kind of a perfect storm, wasn't it? There's those five fences down the back in Warwick, and the first two, well, particularly the first one, that was when Harry Skelton decided to make an interesting move off fairly soft fractions. And it was basically the only mistake John Bond made in the race, arguably the only mistake he's made in his chasing career so far. And of course, it accentuated the distance because Calico absolutely winged that fence. And then John Bond was a bit fiddly at the next one. But Coleman, in fairness, never panicked. I don't think he ever even picked up the stick to him. And he he winged the, he winged the three, the, the last three of the five in the line, and he winged the two on the straight. You could argue there's a little bit of a concern I, I've never seen him jump out to the right before but maybe it was the fact that he had to make his own run and mightn't have been ideal for him uh he he didn't appear to be doing a whole pile in front again that's why Calico was able to get that tactical edge like you'd have to say about John Bond he's a very hardy horse isn't he, he looked in trouble there and I, I, I can't remember who he beat I think it might have been a horse Don McCain's in Haydock last year and he dug it out and he was yeah. really tough against El Fabiolo in uh, Aintree as well. Like he's a, he is a really hardy horse. He's a very good jumper. In terms of the Arkle, I mean, I, I mean, I think it's basically, it's it's fascinating because I think it's basically an even money coup between the two of them because I'm almost convinced El Fabiolo, say this time next year, will be rated five or six pound better horse than John Bon. I do think he is a better horse than him and he has more physical scope, but he has less experience. He's a year younger. Like he should have beaten him in entry last year. He got messed around at the third last and he missed the last. I, I do think he's a better horse, but on that old course in Cheltenham, I think that John Bond is much more suited to that track than El Fabiola. Like El Fabiola can launch himself at one. Now he's some scope. He's a physical, he's a big unit, uh, but he can launch himself at one. He tends to get his, his feet in a bit of a muddle when he gets in close. Whereas John Bond's a handier horse. And I, I just think it, it, it's much more likely that El Fabiola ends up on the floor or makes a calamitous error in the arc of than John Bond. So for that reason, a very long-winded say, way of saying it, if I was to have a bet, I back John Bond because I think they should be the same price. Interesting. That is very interesting indeed from you, Brendan. I didn't think you were going to go that way. Fascinating. What about you, TC? Same sort of question to you. Takeaways from Warwick going to the Arkle now. Where are you landing when you're looking at the market? It's not my kind of race, but it wouldn't look. It wouldn't particularly bother me that uh, that performance from John Bond on Saturday. I mean, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, like we might be underplaying the runner-up because the runner-up was, you know, was a really good flat horse in front, uh, in Germany. Finished a narrow second in a dovecut over hurdles, and and the key to him improving over fences. I mean, he was coming in there on the back of a, a twelve-length win, uh, but that that handicap win before the uh, before the Saturday came in first-time cheap pieces. So it could well be he's just an improved horse in a in first-time cheap pieces, and um, but there, yeah, but. I mean, if if you're, it just sums up racing at the moment, doesn't it? If you are taking on El Fabiolo's 
on the grounds of, of experience. John Bond's beaten six horses in three chase starts. So um, it just, it, like I said, it's, it's just a bit of madness, isn't it? But no, I think there's a tiny bit of overreaction uh, knocking him out to two uh, to two to one. And I think he's a little bit big on the exchange, but it's not something that would worry me. But at the same time, it's not something that would be, be luring me into a bet. Okay, fair enough. Should we give a quick mention to Funambul Savola, TC? Because this is surely the luckiest mistake bet of your life. Yeah, yeah. I said I'll, I said I'll break any better. Who... I was I was rushing around on Thursday morning trying to back um, um, Fanny and Destraval, and I ended up having a hundred quid each way on Funambul Savola at, um, at sevens instead. Because and not only that, because I don't. These days, you don't want to be laying big, uh, you know, horses in isolation at big prices for for reasons we won't go into. So I didn't really get rid of it, and I had a double whammy of luck because there was another horse that came out reduced five to four runners. So it, it would do it to all the two hundred quid going on the win part. So I actually won even more than I should have done in the first place. So yeah, it was a lucky one. Uh, I, I did notice on Monday morning there were still some fifties knocking around for fun and ball similar. Obviously, last year's runner-up showed nothing since. Um, I don't can't see him winning, but given the nature of that race and it's the flaky nature uh, of quite a few of those, yeah. more the base part of the fifties. I know it's sh- shorter elsewhere. Um, I think uh, Sportsburg going twenty fives, but given the nature of that race, I wouldn't want to be blaming the place part of that bet. Uh, but yeah, it's, I don't think it has any winning relevance to the champion chase. No, but I definitely concur your thoughts when I saw his 25s from 50s on the sports because you say bigger prices elsewhere. I thought surely he's an each way bet in the champion chase, bit of spring ground, bounce back to something like this sort of form. And um, Brendan, do you just sidestep here? Have you ever had a lucky mistake bet like Tony got at the weekend? I don't think so. Although I surely have. I've had so many bets in my life. I, I have an appalling memory. Uh, so uh, I, I, no, nothing springs to mind. But um, You I, must have I, backed I, one instead of laying and vice versa, no? Yeah. Must have, Everyone's I, done I, that. I, I, I must have done. But of course, uh, luck is a zero-sum game, as we all know. So I've probably done the reverse as well. And <laughs> luckily, with, with my goldfish memory, I put it all behind me in no time. <laughs> Best way to be. Best way to be. Um, let's rattle through a few of the other performances. Don't want to give too long to these. But obviously, Theatre Glory won at Warwick. The listed race there. Obviously, no love envoy, which was disappointing. Non-runner from her. But as a result, through the race wide open, Theatre Glory wins it. She's pretty lightly raced still. And she she could be substituted for the mayor's hurdle, TC. Do you have any interest in her? She's 12s from 20s for that race. Uh, sorry, she's 12s from 20s for the Coral Cup, but she could be substituted for the mayor's hurdle. Any interest in her? Yeah, I, like I said, I, I, did, I thought she might not be too busy on Saturday because I didn't think they'd want to get close to Love Embroy if they were going down the handicap route. But just looking at that performance, she went into that rate 137. I think she might get away with something in the in the mid to low 140s, and that would still make her of interest in the Coral Cup uh, yeah. if they want to go down that route. Because obviously she was very impressive at Cheltenham in in, in April, and Henderson has won that horse uh, that run that race four times in recent seasons, including with a mare uh, damned a company a, a couple of years ago. So. It all depends on the handicap where they're going to go. Obviously, the mayor's hurdle is there. And if Marie's Rock goes up for the stayers hurdle and if something happens to Constitution Hill and Epitot goes to goes to the champion hurdle, it's all if, buts and maybes, obviously. Then, obviously, they've got a ready-made replacement for the mayor's hurdle as well. There is some 14s, non-1-0 bet, knock around for the mayor's hurdle. And 
given the doubts I've expressed about where he's going to go with all these free horses, Henderson's uh, he, he's got um, he's got a nice problem on his hands where to go with that footy because uh, that mare, but she did look very very good on Saturday. Yeah, pretty sure we've not seen the best of Theatre Glory just yet either. Let's move on, quick look at the Boodles market because Sir Allen is now 11s from 16s, now two from three over hurdles for the Slattery team, Brendan, winning at the weekend. A bit of a springer in the juvenile market, given what he, he was managing to achieve on the flat versus what he's now doing over hurdles. Yeah, um, he, he, he definitely is an improved model over hurdles. And of course, all that experience he got, albeit running at a low level on the flat, will help him in the rough and tumble of the boodles. Uh, it's, it's very hard to know until you know what mark the English handicapper is going to give them. And well, I think I think he, he might suffer a little bit just because of how eye-catching Biker was in behind. So I think the English handicapper is going to be very wary of Biker. Now, in fairness... To Philip Enright, he did have to get the horse settled. He was keen early, but well, it was a very eye-catching run. And given those connections, he that it's not impossible the English handicapper will rate the race through biker, which might mean that Sir Alan gets a little bit more than he should. Okay, we will wait and see on that front. Uh, we'll stick with you, Brendan, to discuss all things blazing Carhill. Three to one oh. from 11 to two for the Stayers hurdle off the back of this uh, reappearance from over 400 days off the track. Mm. Was obviously such a strong contender as a novice over hurdles and staying trips. We haven't seen him for so long. There was so much uncertainty from Charles Burns, so much unsaid, as you would expect from the trainer in regards to where we might see this horse. Some people saying he wouldn't even be ready for Cheltenham let alone a prep run and then bang he comes back in the Boyne hurdle goes off at fives big price for a horse like him with those sort of connections and he wins in pretty imperious fashion well, I mean what did you make of this situation you're shaking your head come on give us what, what did I what, what what did I make of it I mean this is this is layered this is this is this is layered I, I thought it's it was an onion, Brendan. we call it an onion Okay, well, this is is quite the onion now. This is a pickled onion because uh, I was in Navin yesterday and I wasn't cold, actually. So I'm wondering, it's the first time I've ever, like, I've been there in July and I've had to have a vest on. So I'm wondering (laughs) if uh, this has just uh, thrown me off completely. But so I was like you. Blazing Cal basically was the price for the race yesterday that he was for the stairs, hurdle. So you assume, albeit again, the limitations of what I know about conditioning horses, it's a month to Cheltenham. He's he's not going to be half bitter or anything, but they can still get them a lot bitter in, in the next month. So you just assume uh, he's, he's five to one. He'll have a blowout tomorrow, hopefully run a race of some promise. And if he gets somewhere close, they can go to Cheltenham. So that's grand. So he goes, and as you say, he absolutely bolts up and on there. Well, well, what's going on here? I mean, there's plenty to there's plenty to work on. He must be a good thing in the um he must be a good thing in, in, in the stairs hurdle. So then I went and had a look at him after the race, and he wasn't blown particularly hard post-race. So I said, Oh, that's interesting. And then I talked to a race course bookmaker, and apparently connections did back him quite heavily. Now I'm not saying this is a yellow Sam type type coup or anything, <laughs> but connections did back him quite heavily and very late in the race. So maybe he was fitter than people would assume by the price he went off. So, so there's, a, there's definitely a little bit of nuance to that run. But the important thing is he's back. Uh, we know he has a very uh, good record at the track. Meet and Greeks has agreed as a solid L stick. Uh, and, and, and he beat him. Uh, he couldn't have won more comfortably. Uh, a worthy fab for the stairs. Yeah. 
Yeah, fair and fascinating insight from on the track. You see, that's why we've binned off Kevin Blake. He can't even be bothered to go racing. Meanwhile, Brendan Duke on the ground for us. That's what we love, isn't it, TC? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, actually, because um, I actually watched the race kind of like on racing TV and I actually was watching the Betfair market as well for obvious reasons. And and to be fair to Lisa O'Neill, um, I, I think I think kind of like uh, Paddock, as you all know, I think Paddock judges are... A, just about as useful as a chocolate teapot. I mean, I wouldn't give a credence to anything they say, but she actually said this horse looked really pretty straight. And it was the market beforehand, the exchange market was fascinating because about it probably backs up what, what, what Brendan says. About two or three minutes before the race, that horse was trading at nine on Betford, eight to one. And there it came in about a, a couple of points right on the death. So it, if they left it late, um, you know, they they obviously they got some very attractive prices, not only on course on, on the exchange as well. And I mean, obviously, it depends on how he comes into that. Apparently, there's an update on Monday morning saying and you know, he's pulled out sound, etc. But you always kind of get that, don't you? But um, yeah, he's into about three to one, isn't he? On that, and you can see that. I mean, that meet and greet, you know, that meet and greet form, he's beating 150 rated horse, five lengths, giving it five pounds. So even if you take a literal view of that, it's, he's run to 160, much improved on his of his novice form, and yeah, providing he's comes out of that well, he's, he's clearly the one to beat. I mean, I think T. Hooper has probably still got his stamina to prove, uh, and the rest are all pretty much for muchness, aren't they? Really? So yeah, um, he, he's the top dog in that division at the moment. He is indeed. Um, do you want to give, we've got a couple of mares to talk about, but Footsteps to the Festival uh, yeah. week six is all about the mares. So we will just hold fire for a second, but you threw into the group, TC, that you just wanted to give a quick mention to Henderson's Walking on Air uh, for the Potemps. Obviously we saw, um, did, did you want to fire that in there? Yeah, I mean, like the Potemps is an odd one this year, isn't it? I think we had a question on it. I'm not sure if I'm going to answer that. Uh, we do have we're keeping it in are we so I'll, I'll keep that question in because I thought it's quite interesting but now these potential certain qualifiers are not as competitive as they used to be um, I know everyone makes a joke about the not off etc but there's only seven runners at extra on, extra on Saturday but I mean this horse if you remember this horse this horse was I think he was second favourite for the Supreme and the Ballymore after in at Newbury uh, in January last year and they just think he's a really well handicapped horse, but he disappointed to, to, to a degree on his first two starts. They had a lot of problems with the horse, but he looked very good at Exeter. He won the off a mark of 133, so he's going to get in. I think you've got him on that, the potential in, in recent years of 126. So they won't, right? They can't smash him up too much for that, maybe four or five pounds. And given that the promise, the, the, the regard they held him in last year before he had his problems, um, I think if he gets into the potential of a mark of 138 or, or so, I think, you know, they've got something to go to war with. But okay. until, we've got, until we've got the opposition and the weights, it's, you know, it's, it's 12 to 1. And, you know, it's, that was pretty much what I was expecting because okay, we don't know. We're always worth a little mention from TC at 12s, walking on air for the Potemps. Uh, let's move on to section three of the show. This is Footsteps to the Festival. We are on week six and we are focusing in on the ladies only races. That's another reason that we've been Kevin Blake off from this show, because, of course, we couldn't stand any more of him moaning about these races, especially when we're previewing them. So instead, Brendan Duke, we will start with the Mayor's Hurdle, which looks set to be one of the races of the festival. If all of these lots show up, 
my goodness me, we've got Honeysuckle, two to one at the top of the market. Brandy Love, Epiton and Mary's Rock, four to one. Nine to two Love Envoy, nine to one Echoes and Rain, a very good horse in her own right at a price like that. Sums up how good a race this could be, this mare's hurdle. Um, When you're looking at the race now, with the prices we've got in front of us, who is your idea of a decent bet at this stage? Well, I think Marie's Rock should be favourite. So at four to okay. one, she looks she looks an, an absolute knocking bet. I mean, this is a, a lightly raced eight-year-old mare, took her form to a new level last spring. Granted, this is a, a lot deeper race than the race last year. I take that point. But she was wildly impressive in, in, in um, Cheltenham. And that Drashel Dasher is a very, very solid stick. Uh, backed up the form by finishing second to the French, to the gold tweet um, in the cleave hurdle. Uh, I, I couldn't have Honeysuckle. I mean, she she looks regressive. Granted, she showed a lot of heart to stick in there. She looked like she was going to be last turn of her home in Leopardstown, but uh, Vauban pulled his brains out in that race. Then you've got Zana here and Pied Piper getting relatively close to her. Um, I, I, I couldn't have her at all. Uh, the, the, the Love, Love Envoy's uh, a, a smashing mare. And as you mentioned, Echoes and Reigns, a very talented mare as well. Uh, so I'm not saying that she, she's, she, she, she's a, you know, she should be six to four or anything, Marie's Rock, but I definitely have her favourite and she looks a bet to me a four to one. Okay, just the one horse you haven't mentioned in your little summary there is Epiton. And given, you know, that she chased home Constitution Hill and then she was so oh, yeah. when we saw I'm- her at Doncaster, like she brings in such a solid level of form over an improving Mary's Rock for me at the same sort of price. Absolutely. And I didn't mention Brandy Love either, who, Sorry, who, yeah. was, a, who was a lot of X Factor. Now, you're right. I should mention Epitaph, you know, given that she won a champion hurdle and all your spot on. Uh, Epitaph's a big runner as well. But I think Marie's Rock is the common force in that division. And okay. I, I, and I think she should be favoured. Okay, so she's the one sort of on the upward trajectory, whereas everything else is kind of, we have the level either regressing or staying the same. Um, TC, how are you viewing this race at this stage? Who do you think is going to go off favour, I suppose, is the question I'd like you to answer, actually. I suppose if you are looking to back Marie's Rock, you'd have to be worried. If you're not backing non one no bet, you're backing into the exchange, which is about five to one poke. You've got to be worried about the making noises about the stairs hurdle. Uh, once again, they mean it's kind of like the the honeysuckle factor. No, nope, we're going to go anywhere. We're going to go to the champion hurdle. You know, yeah. fast forward a month there. If you look middle and park racing, no, nope, she's going to go for the mares what she won last year. No, and then we think, oh, well, hang on a sec, stairs hurdle. Now they might have called her that idea uh, because of that performance of Blazing Carl at the weekend, but it's I hope a worry. So. They're they're not ruling it out. Uh, I had a look at the race and. Obviously, it's very, very tricky and it's very, very high class. But for Echoes in Rain, in the, the sportsman could top price nines about Echoes in Rain. And she's there's not a great deal of money in the market, but she's 14 on the exchange. And that strikes me as, as far too big. I mean, this is a 102 rated horse on the flat, improving. Uh, Hatton's Grace, she was still swinging there. Oh, granted, she is a traveller who's keen and she often doesn't find as much expected as she didn't in the in the race at Cheltenham last year. But she was still going well to out in the Hatton's Grace when she came down. And although she had little to beat last time, you know, she, she absolutely just hosed up against, you know, maybe second rate as the likes of cashback, et cetera. But, um, but yeah, I, I thought Echoes in Rain was probably the one in that race. I got to thinking about if they're trying to, 
trying to spice up this race further. Why don't they just move it to the Friday and allow the mayor to have, to have double entries at the festival once again? It'd be quite interesting, isn't it? And I was trying to think of the horse. That fin- and that, that might allow them a bit of wiggle room to actually actually run in maybe both races. Remember myself back in the 90s when... I think wow. she ran in the champion and then two days later she just got chinned in the stairs hurdle. And I just I was just thinking about I think I love, TC, I love I love the idea, but we're living in a world where trainers are nervous about running their horses twice in a month, let alone twice, twice in, in a week. twice in a bloody year. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. But, quite. And I just I just bought, you know, throw that into the mix. Bring back double entries at the festival. Double entries, add a bit of spice. Um, should we move on to the Mayor's Novices Hurdle? Because this actually had a shake-up at the top of the market this weekend. Lucia is now 7-4 to four from Asheroe Diamond, 11-4 to four in the Mayor's Novices race after bolting up at Exeter on Sunday. She's missed a couple of engagements. We saw her the time before at Newbury where she was impressive. She's finally got back on track and she won in emphatic style. She probably deserves to be the 7-4 to four favourite. As I said, Asheroe Diamond next best, 11-4. to four. Night and day in there at 7s. Uh, Liberty Dance 8 Lot of Joy 10s Magical Zoe 10s as well in the Mayor's Novices Hurdle at the Cheltenham Festival um, Reflections on Lucia herself this is a less competitive event versus what we've just spoken about Brendan but who's taking a fancy at this early stage four weeks to go uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's hard to crib Lucia. You could say that that race on Sunday fell asunder a little bit. But again, bar for the last, she jumped really well, having jumped really well at, New, at Newbury on Hurdle's debut. She clearly has a big engine. Uh, just, again, I maybe think they should be closer in the betting herself and Astro Diamond. Like, Astro Diamond has more experience didn't get a brilliant ride behind Marine National and Ferry House in November, got an appalling ride at uh, Christmas, almost a, a, a non-triers ride, and then did very well to overcome a messy, uh, a messy race in Ferry House the last day. We know she is effective on spring ground from her win in Aintree last year. I wouldn't have as much between them in the betting as there is at the moment, but okay. again, I don't want to. I don't want to knock your chair. It's very hard to knock a, a mare like her who's unbeaten, and she's a she's a lovely way of going, hasn't she? To the way she pricks her ears and she does everything very kindly. So. Yeah, I'm sure the story will come out about her in the lead up to the festival with preview nights and stuff. But um, Nikki Henderson was telling me that he. They basically they nearly lost her. They literally got her to the point that they were about to put her down. That she did the splits behind, and oh. she just sort of they couldn't really get her to recover properly in the days afterwards. I think, and they had the vet out, and it was all a real saga. They literally were close to putting her down, and yeah. then they tried something different, and it worked, and they managed to save her, and now she's back. So she's got a pretty interesting backstory. Henderson will yeah. tell the story better than me, no doubt. Sounds sounds a bit like you let her dancing at Saturday night at Leperstown, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> Did the splits and nearly killed yourself. <laughs> not a bit of it. Not a bit of it. I don't I don't venture onto the dance floor too soon. Um, I like to stay close to the bar. Tell yeah. me, who do you fancy? Mayor's novices hurdle. Are you in agreement with Brendan that Ashro Diamonds maybe just a touch too big against the favourite? Yeah. Does she pick up a penalty for that fairy house win? Yes, she might yes. pick up a three pound penalty, which yes. is um, obviously you, you speak to all jockeys and trainers, and it's one thing they hate, but um, you yeah, know, obviously, where I mean, a previous form makes a very, very solid. It's typical Cheltenham again, isn't it? As soon as Lucia won there, Henderson said mayors, and then Nico de Bourneville making noises about you know the supreme. 
Um, and obviously they'll get they'll get seven pounds there, will it? Or is it five? Anyway, so I think it's seven. Um and the fascinating thing about Lucia is if you remember, they were gonna run her in the Tollworth against the boys until she was pulled out on the Monday or yeah. Tuesday with an unsatisfactory scope. That's so right. they were going to go against the out of her own uh, sex at Sandown. So it's, it's always been in their mind, uh, may well be jockey driven because he wants to split up various, various horses. Who knows? It's just got me thinking that a forgotten horse in this division is obviously Lab Envoy is not there anymore. He's gone up to uh, the big girls division. Uh, the horse that finished second last year, a horse with no name, He's around. I checked on the exchange. I mean, it's not a race I've looked at before, and I don't even think we've got the confirmed entries yet. So a horse with no name. We haven't seen her since she bled uh, a Boxing Day, but she was a really good second at fifties in that race last year. She was much improved on the flat. Um, she's ninety six rated on the flat, and if she gets decent ground, she's a real good horse, and she's improved massively on the level since since she's second last year. If they can get her right. Then obviously she's no fifty to one point. I don't know what she's fixed odds wise, but or even she's even quoted. But yeah, a horse with no name be a one I'd be looking for if they can get her right after, like I say, bleeding on Unboxing Day. Okay, let's move on to the mayor's chase because this again, a bit like the mayor's hurdle, open division of another fascinating event, Brendan. And the Irish really have a handle on this. We've got Impervious up at the top of the market at 30 to 8 on the sports book as things stand. Uh, Allegor de Vassi next best at 7 to 4. Scarlet and Dove with all the experiences at 7s. Jeremy's Flame for Gavin Cromwell at 10s. And then the first of the UK challengers is Gallia de Lato for the skeleton team at 16s after we saw her win when we last saw her. Um, but really up at the top of the market, you've got kind of experience against inexperience. You've got some younger types in the like flashy Allegor de Vassi taking on the less flashy, more exposed Scarlet and Dove. I just think this is a fascinating contest. I, I'm a Scarlet and Dove fan personally, and I think the experience will tell around here. But with the top two in the market, Impervious and Allegor de Vassi, how much more improvement is to come is the question mark about them. Um, so really, I've just rattled around in circles. Take it away, please. <laughs> Well, no, I, I, I mean, it is. It does look a very deep race. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to finish off by putting one up that I, I think has been uh, underrated in the race. But uh, at, at, at the top of the market, yeah, I mean, it's Willie Mullins. I mean, Allegory Debassi, a very talented mare. She got lucky, all right, uh, beating Brandy Love last year. But, I mean, she, she, she is a really talented mare. Looks to have plenty of scope over fences. That impervious is as tough as nails. She just keeps finding and keeps finding. Um, and I, I, I would rate both of them. But... Do you think there's any chance they've missed this magic days at the oh. weekend? I mean, so I, I, so obviously it's very dangerous to go into collateral form and what have you. But uh, again, I was in there. It's lovely spring day. Spring has sprung. Absolutely marvellous. I was full of the joys. And uh, I thought Dino Blue would win. Uh, be, be, because she's a talented mare and uh, she'd run and she basically runs her race almost every time she shows up. So, um, we're watching the race anyway. Dino Blue's doing her thing, traveling in behind. I spotted Magic Days jumping really well, which which is significant because she wasn't great in Clonmel first time up, and she, she was better in Fairy House, but she still got beaten off 143 in a handicap. 
And Magic Days is just absolutely winging fences out in front. And it ultimately it told because she put enough pressure on Dino Blue's jump and that, that she broke her. And of course, Dino Blue was beaten by the same distance by Impervious. Again, collateral form, it's a dangerous thing to do. But I sort of, I was talking to her after the race. I was, did, did you see that? And he said, yeah, yeah, brilliant. I put around the jump and she's put in. And there's just no reaction to it uh, in, in the market. So um, I, I was, I definitely uh, respect the, the mayors at the top of the market. Um, I, I, I don't understand uh, why Magic Days is 16 to 1 at all. Okay. Okay, we like that. Yeah, 16 to 1 currently for the Henry de Bromhead team. Magic Day is a much bigger price than all those that I waffled on about. And TC, there you are. I don't think I've ever seen you applaud anyone on a podcast, but you oh. just gave a little round of applause. Brendan, that is a serious moment. I, I think I think I should be doing what they do in Countdown, where they both get the uh, both get the same number, but they have to put their put their kind of like paper reasoning in at the They're same working. time. Show your work. Like, everything he said was well, I'd like, I, I just, I just like I said, agree with the the big issue is, I mean, you know, the clatter. Where are you going? Sorry, I just had to let the dog out from under the stairs. You keep the dog under the stairs for the duration of this podcast. Yeah, well, because never mind. Carry on. All right, sorry. Um, yeah, it's like I looked at the, I looked at it this morning. I mean, I didn't watch it live on Saturday, but. As you said, he was actually giving. She was actually giving Dino Blue four pound and beat it there. The only thing I can think of is that they're worried about the two mile trip. And there were some people on Twitter going, "He's just blown his grand annual handicap." She's just blown her grand annual handicap mark there. Um, obviously, we haven't got the weights or the entries for the handicap, so we don't know that there. But if she's going for the race, I mean, this horse at the time of recording, she's thirty six. On the exchange, I mean, you know, forget about the 16s as well. I mean, the, the each way angle is probably good with the with the shape of the race, but yeah, I mean, like the only can only be that they they might not be going for the race. But then Robbie Power, the owner's representative, said, "No, Mayor's Chase, here we come." But no, it, it's just a completely wrong price. If you take the the trainer's rep or the owner's rep at his word, and that's where they're going. It's an absolutely crazy price because form form wise, she's not a million miles off. There is a doubt about the trip because all her best forms are, are two miles, as it was on Saturday. But she's a winning pointer who had, who has been tried over two mile four uh, in a maiden hurdle days behind Gayard de Benesnil. But no, it it doesn't doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's one of those prices where you think it's too good to be true, so she's not going there. That's the only danger I think. But other than that. I echo everything that uh, Brendan said. Oh, well, and I would just say say on that, I think they had the option of a novice handicap in Cheltenham last year, and they 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 ran her in the Arkle. So they're, they're not afraid to have a crack at the, the, the big prizes. No. Yeah, and given the case that you two have just made for her, I'm not sure the 16s will be hanging around much longer. Um, that wraps up week six of Footsteps of the Festival. Let's move on to news topics this week. We've got plenty to discuss in various different areas of the industry, and we are going to kick off first and foremost with... Um, the Paul Kimmage piece, the latest Paul Kimmage piece, which is in the Sunday Independent yesterday, Brendan Duke in Ireland. This mm. is, this was a detailed and uh, pretty grim grim article on the trainer Homer Scott, 
who's mm. surrendered his license, but plenty. Uh, I mean, the, this case is around basically the death of um, a good few mayors under his care. And there's some details in there which are pretty shocking, if true. Paul Kimmage, again, on the racing rampage. Um, can you just expand, I guess, on the piece, Brendan? You've obviously read it yourself. And mm. what are your takeaways? But also Kimmage himself still really like a dog with a bone when it comes to racing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's it, it's a very it's a very bad, bad business, and it's a tough read. And it, it, I, I, I mean, and any time you hear about these horses uh, who who aren't being ta- taken care of, the same with the Stephen Mann case, uh, it's it, it's shocking because um, the, it, people have a responsibility to take care of their their, their animals. But if, in in Kimmage's case. He's using it, isn't he? Everything about Kimmage is smoke, mirrors and sanctimony. So what he's doing is he's trying to conflate it with the Stephen Mann thing. But it's a completely different case. Like the the Stephen Mann case was was the reverse. The Department of Agriculture went in and said, ah, well, you can't be doing this. This is outrageous. And then the RHB had to respond to that and say, well, we're taking your license away on the back of these allegations. But in this case, all, all they can do is take the license away, but they didn't have to because he handed in his license. But he's he's trying to say, oh, well, they treated this guy so much better than my guy, my, my deep throat, because, of course, I've got all these allegations about drugs and racing. I've got a smoking gun. It was more like naked gun in the end. He's an absolute disaster of a man. I just didn't like the, the tone. I mean, it wasn't always a disaster. Now, I mean, I, again, we should say in terms of, we, uh, we've talked about this before. I'm a real race and fanboy, and I, I'm also a sports fanboy. I, I would have believed in Lance Armstrong, of course, when he was banging the drum that, that Lance Armstrong. Now, I'm not completely naive. There are certain people, uh, we have an Olympian over here who had a tampered sample, and you have an Olympian over there who likes to hide behind couches. I don't like people who make massive mid uh, career jumps in terms of performance but with the likes of uh, Lance Armstrong or Usain Bolt who were precocious at their sport and they go on I like to believe in the Superman because otherwise you're watching sport and you think it's just a pantomime it's an awful way to live although at the same time you'll never be proved wrong the way I was about Lance but anyway Kimmage had it lost it he's got nothing on drugs so now he's just all this smoke and mirrors and he's trying to conflate one one thing with another and say ah I and another thing he does this is another thing he does he said at the time with the drugs in, in Irish race he said oh I heard this all before I heard this all before with cycling so just because I heard in cycling the the, 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 the people say oh we don't take drugs we don't we don't use drugs then but that's going to be the case in everything. If I said to you, I'm writing an article on the mo- uh, at the moment on the rampant abuse of beta blockers in the Tiddlywinks field, and the Tiddlywinkers came out and said, oh, we don't use beta blockers, Kimmage would be on saying, oh, I heard of it cycling. You know, he can't lose. He just can't lose. I don't like the way he operates, but there's no doubt that, that it, it was a shocking and disturbing piece to read. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I I can completely see your point about looking at the wider picture, TC, just in terms of the article taking up four pages in a national newspaper and being such horrific reading. Mm. I mean, it's sort of hang your head in shame stuff, isn't it? it you know, you yeah. just hate that people like that are anywhere near our sport, um, let alone given so much column inches. And ultimately, it's just, it's, it's such horrific publicity and PR, like, you know, yeah, such a horrific publicity for our sport. But 
it, I just I read it and I just you know you just feel sick when you read stuff like that. It's, whatever you think of Kimmich, whatever. Yeah, you I mean, it, it is so horrific, and that's why up until now, I mean, there could you know follow ups could be in the offing, but it hasn't been you know it hasn't been taken up by any other racing publication or program that I've seen. So, and it is shocking, but. And I get where Brendan's coming from with Kimmich, and obviously we've had dealings with him uh, on the back of these programs in the past about the way he's the way you know some of the stuff he's done on racing is slapdash and laughable. But I think there's an element here. If you dismiss this story because of Kimmich, you're playing you're playing the man, not the ball. I, I think you know if anybody who reads this and it is graphic, it's lengthy, it's detailed. It's a hundred percent plausible. Um, it's it's got to be massively worrying, is it? And and I think he weakens his case again by bringing Marn into it. I don't know what's what's happening with that relationship, but it, it does take away from his journalistic credibility in, in this case and in other cases as well. But I mean, go and read it for yourself in the, in the Sunday Independent. I mean, this is really shocking stuff. And one thing what we've heard before is we've all heard stories about. You know, jockeys being asked to retire before details come out of, you know, maybe te drug testing or other stuff here. The very case is it's a very bad look uh, for, for a regulator to say, withdraw your, uh, you know, give in your license before we come after you with a hearing and just drag you through it. It's kind of like we don't want the bad publicity, so just do it and go away. But... But don't they all do that? Sorry for interrupting you, Tony. Don't the no. tennis authority? Don't the tennis authorities do that? Don't the yeah. golfers do that? So that's the, in a sense that's just the way they they play the game. They don't want the publicity. They don't want the aggravation. Yeah, but 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 don't but don't kind of like take away from this story because it is a shocking story, and there is no doesn't seem to be any denials in here. And and, and the rider at the end of it was you know he still has fifty horses in his care uh, at, at this farm or whatever. But it is a very shocking case, and you know the nature of the journalists. You know, we had we had two or three questions on it, which I'll answer personally um, in the question sections about you know what is it, you know how much money has he lost in racing? What has he got against racing? And he does. He has got a bee in his bonnet here, and he's he's he, you know he, he's pursuing these stories that other journalists don't uh, probably don't want to or or don't like to. Uh, for the very reason he has failed in, you know, failed to bring up every evidence in the in the drug testing previous ones as well, and and you know, you know, pretty much embarrassing himself with the Marn case. But yeah, I mean, that is a shocking, that is a real, real shocking read, and um, we we shouldn't lose sight of that. No, I think that's fair to say. Um, Tony, talk to me about Andrew Rhodes, CEO of the Gambling Commission. He's been on the PR offensive in the last week or so. He's done interviews with the Racing Post and he was on Luck on Sunday uh, with Nick, obviously, yesterday. What have been the takeaways from these interviews? What, do you, what How are you viewing um, sort of not just Andrew and what he said so far, but also the wider picture as things stand when it comes to the Gambling Commission, the white paper, et cetera, et cetera? Where are we at here, TC? Yeah, you'd have to be living in a cave not to not to be reading you know front page after front page in the racing post in in recent weeks about affordability checks and I, i've said my own personal experience on here last year it is unbelievably kind of like annoying frustrating when it does happen to you even trying to get in touch with somebody after your accounts have been suspended is a, an absolute nightmare 
But the Gambling Commission have been quiet on about all this. I mean, you know, Neil Channing has been banging the drum about this, about how poor the situation is on Luck and Sunday for ages, as much as the Racing Post have. Um, and But the Gambling Commission has been silent up until uh, the interview with the Racing Post um, over the weekend. And what's really fascinating there and on Luck and Sunday is, I think the main takeaway from this is, he actually said, Andrew Rowe said, you know, the, the uh, gambling mission are not mandating bookmakers to go after these affordability checks. He's yeah. saying, no, it's not us. It's up to the operators to do this. He said there's an overarching, um, the overarching concern that the bookmakers have to address is, you know, they've got to kind of like um, look after problem gamblers. And, you know, it was a good interview between Nick and, and, and Andrew on, on, on Racing TV on Sunday morning. Nick asked him all the right questions. Uh, and Andrew Rhodes had an answer for everything. And it, it reminded me of, um, you know, when these Tory MPs are wheeled out and they, they're all, very few of them are fully on their brief. He reminded me of very much of like Grant Shapps when, when he, whenever he's wheeled out because he's, he's the most impressive Tory MP. He might be damning with faint praise there and not setting the bar too hard. Uh, yeah, but he, he he had an answer for everything Nick said, and Nick couldn't get anywhere near him on that. And it's very similar to the Racing Post article. But my big takeaway is, and it's, and it's, you know, if the gambling mission aren't saying to do this, are uh, affordability checks, and the bookmakers are doing it anyway, where is it coming from? Because if the gambling commission are lying about this and saying, oh, yeah, you know, there, there should be a smoking gun. There must be written confirmation or written um, emails or, or correspondence to bookmakers saying, yeah, you have to do this or else we're going to come after you with fines. And there's been loads of fines in these areas for, you know, for falling down on, on these kind of standards. So it left me, that, you know, if bookmakers don't want to do this, and yeah. it's probably not in their interest, and if the gambling mission aren't saying mandating bookmakers to do this, yeah. Why is it happening? Now, all at the moment, it's all anecdotal. But that's the main question that needs to be asked now. And the, I was expecting follow-ups today, Racing Post asking bookmakers, why are you doing this then? If the gambling mission aren't saying, aren't enforcing you to do it, that's the question that needs to be answered now. Why is it happening? Because it Who's is happening. From? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just bizarre. Yeah. Was he not talking out of both sides of his mouth, though? Did, didn't he say, oh, well, we didn't explicitly ask them to do this, but what we did say is we're going to fine you if you don't find out about whether your customers can afford to mm -hmm. have these bets. How else could they find out? I mean, if I was a bookmaker on the end of that and I heard this directive, I would say, well, maybe we should look at his income and assets. So what other interpretation could they have? I did say he was like a Tory MP, so the fact well, he's yeah, 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 both yeah. sides of his mouth. Yeah, no, but yeah. but the the thing about it is, I mean, obviously, to the extent oh, there's been some massive fines in this area, as Brendan says. Yeah, but be interesting. There has to be a balance somewhere, doesn't it? And clearly, although it's all anecdotal, there is a, there is enough evidence out there suggesting it's still going on. In fact, you know, I was caught up in it as well. And um, and people and some pundits are saying, well, you know. They're just trying to make it awkward for me because don't pay me my winnings. Anybody with a vaguely marginal account is all oh, surprise, surprise, caught up in this as well. So everyone thinks external forces and other factors are at play here as, as well as affordability. But the, as I said, the main takeaway was why is this happening? If the Gambling Commission aren't explicitly saying 
Yeah. In a letter, by direction, there, as Brendan said, it could well be just they're just inferring it. If you don't do it, we're going to come after you. Yeah. Mm. It just is that not a reasonable inference? No? Is that not a reasonable inference from, from what he said? Well, it, it's the only logical explanation, but ask the bookmakers. Okay. Want to hear it from them? Yeah. Well, yeah. We've heard from the Gambling Commission now. One thing we haven't, we've heard from punters, you know, week in, week out. What we haven't heard is, why are the bookmakers doing this? And it could well be that they've had a nudge and a wink from the Gambling Commission who don't want to put their name to any correspondence. And if that's the case, but that was the one question that came out of the Racing Post article and then the Nick Luck interview, because it was a very good article and it was a very good interview, but they just couldn't nail him down. He's a, like you said, he's probably going to stand, he's, he'll probably be a prime minister in a couple of years, won't he? Uh, let's move or on. Welsh, or Welsh minister. Is he Welsh? I don't know. Let's move on to the Grand National because that's caused a bit of a hoo ha. Obviously, entries out this week for the Grand National in April at Aintree. And we only have 85 entries and only 31 from the UK, I think it was, which um, paints what some has perceived as a pretty depressing picture of the National Hunt game. Uh, part of that down to qualifying criteria, maybe, or I mean, I don't really know what the answers are here, Brendan. Do, do you think there was a bit of an overreaction to these numbers? Well, I mean, possibly. I'm not exactly sure what people were expecting. We've padded our entries a little bit. Gordon seems to have entered a lot of horses who were marked rated in the 130s. Well, I say a lot. I mean, he's got five or six of them. So so they're obviously not going to get in. Admittedly, there's some English horses who are rated between 130 and 140 who aren't going to get in. I mean, just looking down through it, it looks like you'll have about 15 or 16 runners. Um. It's just it's just the, the, the way the race has gone. I mean, it, it, it's become less of a less of a lottery. It's become a race that favours classy horses, and there aren't that many English horses rated 150 and above, are there? Yeah. Well, seemingly seemingly not. No. Um, what did you make of the situation, TC? Were you in any way aggrieved by it, like many people were? I thought what was absolutely staggering is is the language that the BHA handicapper Martin Greenwood, who's got, who's, you know, he's got you know carte blanche in this area. What did he say? It's the further evidence of a continuation of Britain's jump racing decline. I mean, pretty. That, that is a BHA official, in uh, a BHA employee saying that. I mean, it's quite it's very refreshing to hear, but that language is as strong as it gets, isn't it? And when you're considering he's talking about one particular race, but the overarching scenario now, um, it's good to hear. But I mean, like, it clearly behind closed doors and they've just opened, they've wedged it open here with these comments. They're massively worried about the way that the sport's going in this country, aren't they? Well, I'm I'm rightly so, I would like to add. But um, yeah, I mean, we've got a question on. Yeah, should we let's move on to questions and let's start with Helen's question because it just ties in nicely. So on to question time we go. Helen Sheridan sent in a decent question, which was interested to hear thoughts on I will do its non-qualification for the Grand National. Obviously, this was quite a big news story in the week. Um, personally, I have no truck with the owner calling for a rule change or suggested win and you're in schemes. I think we all know why the rules are in place and are stated as they are. And I'm with you, Helen, like they know what the rules are. 
you know, th those rules haven't changed in the last few weeks. <laughs> They've been there a good while now. You have to have a certain number of runs in a certain style of race. And the rules are there. I don't know why if they wanted to run the horse in the Grand National. I know what they're saying. It's one race is where you would expect it to go off a very, you know, well-fancied national runner. But the rules are there in place. You know what they are. You know how to get your horse qualified and you haven't got it qualified. It's no one's fault except their own, surely, Brendan. I think that's completely fair. Uh, I, 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 I can't think what to say because I'm, I'm always struck by this um, with the Ryder Cup qualifying for golf or the Premier League. Um, you, you, you have a chance to qualify. They can't take it away from you. If, if you go about your business, uh, you, you qualify. So you can't moan. In that case, it's, it's slightly different because people get picked. By, by, by an outside force. But again, this is it. This is the rules as they are. The rules might, you might not like the rules, but you have to play by them. Mm. Absolutely. And we all do in life. Anything to add on that note? Yeah, it's it's like I say, they, the Sam Thomas show only got a bit previous for this with good risk at all, not having the four qualifying runs for last year's Betfair Hurdle. But yes. in this instance, I have got some sympathy because I will do it was going to go for the Welsh National, presumably had a little setback, so it had to go you know, you had to miss that race. So maybe they were plotting a different path, but, you know, they, they knew what they had to do with that horse. And he said they couldn't go because of the ground uh, at, at Newbury on Saturday. And, and as it turned out, they were probably right because the times for Newbury, um, we haven't touched upon some of the disappointments there, but and even, even talked about the Betfair hurdle, but, you know, some of the times were rapid there. So they might have done the horse a, a big disservice if they run him there, but, surely it's not beyond the wit of man to actually find another qualifying run for him, even if it's just a, even if it's just a, a, a spin round uh, yeah. ahead of there. I mean, there must be some other races that they could have aimed it to. I know it's fast ground everywhere at the moment, but, you know, they must have known this was coming some way out uh, and they've just failed to get the horse handicapped. I mean, it's a kind of horse that the rules do make a mockery of because he's Welsh national order, et cetera, but the rules are there. A trainer's job, first and foremost, is to get it qualified, and he didn't. Yeah, I, I would agree, unfortunately. And he's, he's, he still has got the time because they don't, the weights aren't out until February the 21st next week. No, yeah, that is true. Um, next question, we've got two on this. And this, I, I couldn't really believe what I was seeing with this, but the question is, National Hunt Tips to sent in. What's going on with the booing at Warwick, TC? Mm. very disappointing from my point of view and David Brown has asked a slightly tongue-in-cheek comment of if any horse ever should have been booed after winning which one do we think should have he voted for Delta Work or Western War Horse when yeah. he beat Champagne Fever that was a bad day for many David um, but back to the point in question that both these questions have brought up which is at Warwick on Kingmaker Day when John Bond won when you're watching on ITV, there seemed to be booing from the crowd. But I genuinely thought, I genuinely thought, oh, there's just something wrong with the audio. That can't be actual booing. Surely people aren't booing. Now, it was student race day and they had a packed infield and they had thousands through the gates. Good on them. Um, TC, I don't know if the, if it was actually booing, if you can confirm or deny that. Yeah, it was. I uh, made a lot of comments on, on social media saying it was, and it was from, apparently it was from the student area. I, I don't know. I'm only just passing on third-hand third -hand observations. But it was quite, it, it's quite interesting because we flagged up in racing only better having a laugh because they did say Warwick have plans in place to deal with the noise that coming from the students in, in the centre of the course. But... It's a classic scenario, isn't it? If you've got students, uh, as Brendan will know, 
It's the uh, it's the second or third race on the card. You've got two runner race. One's priced up at 16s on. One's eight to one. What are they going to back? So you've got 2,000 horses probably all on Calico to a man. And I'll, I bet you the bookmakers in that in that zone uh, were offering very short odds about Calico and, and they were still going to get in the trade. So you've got 2,000 students probably all back Calico. You know, it's probably really playful booing, but you, you could hear it, couldn't you? Yeah, I mean, I just, I just, I've never been on a race course where I've heard booing before. Thank God, because I wouldn't be around for that. I wouldn't like that. And so when I heard it on the TV, I actually just, like I said, I just thought something was a little bit off with some sort of. It's probably just playful booing because they've had a bet, isn't it? They probably don't mean anything by it today. But yeah, I mean, it was there. You you could hear it, couldn't you? Have you witnessed much booing on an Irish racetrack, Brendan? I never heard heard any booing. Although I have I have been at student days. It's very hard to hear over the general din of students. They're 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 a, no, they're a noisy bunch. Also, the slowest moving species known to man. It's like walking <laughs> through a far. It's like walking through a forest at times. But I think Tony Tony's quite right. I mean, there's a, there's a social contagion factor with students. I mean, they're 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 in their early twenties or late teens. They've had a few drinks. I wouldn't think there was a lot of malice in it. Okay. As for the question about booing, uh, the one that always sticks in my mind, I think I watched it in the Betfair market at Cheltenham. I've never heard, and it was 14 to 1 as well, I've never known so many people about the same horse that got chin right on the line, and it was Mel Jamar in the old three-mile handicap chase by Wichita Lineman. I'm Ooh. telling you that I think time, anybody, everyone at time form have tipped up, load of people at Betfair have. I've never known such a deflation when Witcher Lyman got up to eat Maljima. That was the one that sticks in my mind. And I'm sure there was some booing going on there. There was some crying going on there as well. Delta Work and Western Warhorse are great, more recent examples as well. Jesus, yeah. Um, yeah but they didn't, but there wasn't any booing for, um, no, no. Booing for Delta Work. No, 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 no. There wasn't any actual booing, but just in terms of horses that might have ignited that a little bit, he surely was one. Yeah. Um, on we go. A couple more questions left. JD has asked, Brendan, this can come your way because we speak mm. about this a lot. Your fresh voice on the podcast. Mm. Um, read the prize money debate. We always seem to be highlighting the need for more prize money and rightly so. But increasingly, we see races that do have decent pots having hardly any runners. Surely this undermines the whole debate, JD asks. Well, it's one way of looking at it, JD, but you could look at it the other way. There aren't enough horses to run in these races because the owners who can afford to buy them are cheesed off at the prize money levels. So they send them uh, to, to Ireland, for example. And of course, there's way too many novice chases. There's there's that as well. Uh, so so I would come at it from a different angle. I mean, I, 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 I've never thought about this before. Uh, well, sorry, I never worried about it before because I thought, oh, the owners will always pick up the tab because, you know, if, you, if you're if you an owner, you're basically writing off 50% of your investment, right? But you're going really well in life. So I thought they'll just say, ah, it's grand, don't worry about it. But there's obviously a level that it gets to where they say, ah, they're taking the piss here and we're not, we're not going to play ball uh, where, where, where the prize money gets so bad. And then uh, th- those owners who have the big money to spend seem to want their horses and trained in Ireland where the prize money is better. So it is a factor. It is a factor. It, very quickly, it does, it does link in with the earlier Grand National story because if you remember, they chucked another 50 grand recently at the Grand National prize money to get it up from 950 to a million so they can have a, a PR element to it. Price money at the top end, even in the top end handicaps, 
doesn't seem to have any bearing on that. I mean, how much did Calico pick up for finishing second to John Bond? How much are these um, trainers and owners picking up for these free runner novices handicap chase? I mean, you, you could literally take away 75% of novice chases uh, and it wouldn't make a, a shadow of a difference because this just not the horse population and they're still chucking money at it. It's, yeah. it's madness. Madness. Um, last question. And again, it's kind of on a similar page, really, from Ben Reed. With only three attempts qualifiers left, two at the time of recording, are the BHA facing an embarrassing situation where the attempts final will not have a full field or at best having multiple horses running from out of the weights? That would be a disappointing state of affairs, wouldn't it, Brendan? Not a full field attempts final. Yes, uh, for, for for any race, not not to be oversubscribed at at Cheltenham. Has has that ever happened before in a handicap in Cheltenham, uh, where, where where there weren't horses balloted out? I can I can't think off, off the top of my head, but but um, yeah. So they might have to revisit this again. So we've gone from the first seven are qualified to the first four are qualified. We might have to go back to the first five are qualified. You could probably just get rid of the race, couldn't you? Oh no! Oh right, okay. You're a big fan of the Pretemps, yeah. I love the Pretemps. Okay, right. Beach charter. Oh. I don't, it, the thing about it not filling, I mean, like I said, we come back to walking on air. There was only seven in that qualifier, and I think if I'm right, I think there's only two qualifiers in Ireland, isn't there? This year, yeah, that, that's been that. There's an issue with qualifiers in Ireland situation. People not happy about that. Yeah, but like I said, there's only seven at Exeter on. Uh, Sunday there's only two more to go so and there's been a feature of big handicaps in, in this country this year uh, this season you know not remotely filling I know we had two late non-runners but you know there was a maximum field size of 24 possible for the bet for hurdle and they only had 16 in the end and there's been loads of similarly real six-figure handicaps just not anywhere near filling this season so if it permeate, permeates down to the Cheltenham Festival then Again, it'll be another eye-opener for Mr. Greenwood and his BHA colleagues. I feel Just like one we... last thing, thing, sorry for that. What is it about the pretense? Is it the qualifying aspect? Like they can have a three-mile handicap hurdle in Chatham, but you like the qualifying aspect yeah. to it. Yeah, I oh, do. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fair I don't know. I just do. Yeah. I like looking back at some of those races and you know, seeing who snuck into the first now four, but it was more fun when yeah, it I bet was... I bet you thought that was a retrograde step when they stuck it down from six to four, didn't you? I did, I did. I want it up at like 10 places. So you, you want get... you want the darker cheaters coming through, don't no, you? No, no, I don't know. I I just, I just think it, Brendan, to be honest with you, it's just something a bit different, isn't it? I'm all for something a bit different. And, oh, yeah, uh, it's just got a slightly different angle to it and it's a different bit of interest. Well, I suppose we've, we've got a second race at the festival in, in a similar guise, haven't we? It's called the Boodles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. The Boodles Red Winter, not the Boodles Gold Cup. I think, they'll, I also, I think I also, they'll all be up in that. I actually am also a big fan of the Fred Winter too, believe it or not. So anyway, we will finish on that note. Um, look, Brendan, it's been a joy having you on. Thank you for joining us. That has been a lot of fun indeed. TC, thank you as always. Listeners and viewers out there, it has been a joy to have you listening along, or I hope you've enjoyed it anyway. I'm sending horse welfare, uh, uh, sorry, dog welfare around about you locking your dog under these stairs. Uh <laughs> I, I'd just like to point out he's very happy under in his cubby hole under the stairs. 
the best place for him on this show. Otherwise, we have the woofing and whatnot. And Barry Orr does not like that, TC. There's enough woofing. Uh, yeah, that's dogs, good. isn't there? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, look, guys, that wraps up the show. Thank you, everyone, for listening and watching. As always, please do hit subscribe on our YouTube channel so that you don't miss a single episode of these excellent podcasts. We'll be back on Thursday with Racing Only Better. But in the meantime, enjoy your week. That was Wade in. <laughs>